HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cutting the Curd is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American international style and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country? For more information, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, this is Diane Stemple on HeritageRadioNetwork.org on Cutting the Curd, the book segment. I'm delighted and excited to have in studio Lou DiPaolo, author of the riveting book, DiPaolo's Guide to the Essential Foods of Italy. Welcome, Lou. Oh, it's great to be here. <laughs> You're a regular now. You're yes, this is actually my third show here Yeah, Heritage. Right, right. You're going to get an award for this or something. Well, it's also great to, you know, have a pizza afterwards over here at Roberta's. Definitely. really enjoy it. Definitely. So I want to tell you and our listeners, this book meant so much to me because, first of all, I'm half Italian. Uh, Second of all, I love cheese and all Italian food. And third of all, because I was driving around Sicily with my sister last summer, uh, looking for my grandparents' towns and uh, relatives. So reading your book and all the descriptions of Italy and Sicily and the food and the restaurants and the people just made me feel very at home and very excited, and I have to go back as soon as possible. You know, I, I can't tell you in such a short period of time that the book has been released mm-hmm. how many people have told me that the book has invoked memory. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, whether they worked in the, in the family food store many years ago mm-hmm. or, or they traveled to Italy like you did and, mm-hmm. and visited around Sicily. So it was very, very rewarding to me mm-hmm. to hear that the book really not only excited people but made them invoke memory of something very important to them. Right, and not just food. There was a lot of Italian history that I didn't know that, you know, you're just mentioning in passing as you're driving through a town. That's right. Yeah, it's really nice. So much tradition in Italy. And, you know, Italy 
is comprised of 20 regions. Mm-hmm. I, I like to call it the country, 20 countries in one, because each one has its own traditions and, and uh, passions, not only with um, arts and, and, and other items, but also with food. Mm-hmm. And Italy wasn't united till fairly oh, modern y- days. It's a younger country than the United States. Yeah, right? and, uh, and some would say it's still not 100% united. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so this book is really a dream. Um, who doesn't want to go to Europe and research food? I mean, this is what m- many people in the food industry would love to be doing, and you get to do it. Well, it's, uh, it's something that I was brought up in, you know, mm-hmm. going back. My family over 100 years have been in New York City's Little Italy, and we've been really proud to represent the Italians, the Italian immigrants, mm-hmm. and the foods of Italy. Mm-hmm. So how did you decide to write this book? Well, I've been asked by a lot of people. I said, Lou, when is your book coming out? You know, Mm -hmm. if you've ever experienced coming into DiPaolo's, you would know that I take a lot of time explaining everything that you're Mm -hmm. purchasing, Mm -hmm. whether it's a piece of cheese or some olive oil. And uh, it's always been asked, when are you writing a book? When are you going to put this in print? So just assuming your knowledge would lead to a book. Well, that's what they would say. Mm -hmm. And I was very... Reluctant? I, I was reluctant because I'm a cheese guy. Mm-hmm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the food business. Mm-hmm. I'm not a writer. And mm-hmm. I had one customer who was a, a literary agent for years. I've been shopping and said, Lou, I can help you. I can help you. We can get a book together. And it wasn't until I found the right person that would be by my side and really work and understand that this book would be, have to be 100% my words, 100% of my passion, mm-hmm. and just listen to me. I don't, look, I don't use a computer. Mm-hmm. I don't even type. Mm-hmm. So to do everything longhand, right. it would have been difficult. So mm-hmm. I found this person, a young lady by the name of Rachel Wharton. Now, I've met Rachel Wharton years ago in the food business. She's a phenomenal editor and writer herself. Right. And she was very, uh, I, I like to say, selfless, because mm-hmm. she put nothing of herself into the book mm-hmm. except my passion right. and my words and she really really captured everything that I had to say mm-hmm. and then I had a wonderful team at Random House mm-hmm. Valentine Books mm-hmm. uh, uh, my editor Pamela Cannon was absolutely spectacular and she was a customer for years and she also so said, she understood she understood and where I had mm-hmm. and I don't know if she knew it but I had a lot of competition from her, for her there was seven other publishers who wanted ah, the book okay and but she was the one who understood what I wanted in the book. Mm-hmm. I needed to tell my story. Mm-hmm. I needed to tell the information through stories because that's what I am, a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I didn't want a cookbook. I didn't want a pictorial book. I wanted a book to tell you the stories of these wonderful products that mm-hmm. Italy has to mm-hmm. offer. But um, some writers tend to, when they're telling their story, it's very egotistical. There's no... There's not no egotistical part coming through. You are highlighting the food. You're highlighting the artisans who are making the food. You're promoting them. Well, shouldn't it be the case? Yes. <laughs> yes. Know, and, and, you know, I'm as passionate as I am. I wanted mm-hmm. to bring to the to the reader mm-hmm. the passion that everybody has in, mm-hmm. in, the, in this food business. And, you know, the book is an easy read, but it's a complex book. Mm-hmm. The book, my vision of the book had to be 
relationship. Mm-hmm. If you notice throughout the whole book, it's about relationship. Relationship between myself my, and our customers, between the cheese makers or the uh, olive oil producers, mm-hmm. the people where we get the raw material from, the small farmer that might might have six or seven cows that, mm-hmm. that is part of a co-op that gives his milk to make a certain cheese. So it's about relationship. Mm-hmm. And it, it also, in some cases, how food actually uh, mimics life, mm-hmm. especially in my balsamic vinegar chapter. Balsamic vinegar being a agridolce, sweet and sour. And mm-hmm. sometimes life could be sweet mm-hmm. and sour, mm-hmm. as in the case of that particular story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all this complex book that I had in my mind mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't just cut and dry. This is the information mm-hmm. about a, a type of cheese or or uh, uh, olive oil or vinegar or whatever. It was about the complexity of food and how mm-hmm. it brings people together. Mm-hmm. You wanted your vision respected. That's a very good point. Yes, <laughs> and it and it comes through. Yeah. It really comes through. Well, thank you. Um, now you've been traveling to Italy since you were since you were tasting prosciutto on your honeymoon. Is that well, for, for sure. I Isn't mean, that you know, the first it's a, time? That's actually the first time that I had gone to Italy. It was over 40 years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, in truth, my wife wanted to go to Hawaii on our <laughs> And I said, you know. Nope. I said, Con, let's. My wife, Connie, she's, she's wonderful. I mean, without her, the book probably would never have been right. uh, done. Without my brother, Sal, my sister, mm-hmm. Marie. Mm-hmm. But. But that is where people went for honeymoons, Hawaii. Yes, they went for honeymoons in Hawaii. And I said, you know what, we'll, let's go to Italy. We'll go to Hawaii next year. It took 30 years before we finally... I was going to say, did you make good on that promise? 30 years later, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but as she said, it wasn't the same. She wasn't wearing a bikini. She didn't, have the, she didn't start around on the beach in oh, a, a nice, yeah. shapely body, you know. I, she looked fine to me, believe me. You know? But, but, but uh, when we went to Italy... I went there to really recapture and reclaim mm-hmm. my heritage. Mm-hmm. And you were very young then. I was 22. Mm-hmm. And my wife Connie was 20. Mm-hmm. And it was a big trip, especially for some young people. And I yeah. have photographs of me making cheese there because I was always making mm-hmm. cheese since I was 14 years old right. with my father. So you right away dove into meeting cheesemakers. I, and- I would get her up at 5 in the morning. <laughs> I'd say we'd go to this place over here and... And introduce myself, and they'd look at this uh, this New York case person right, over here right. and say, who spoke terrible Italian at the time. I'm sure. And uh, <laughs> it, it was Italo-American because it was all old dialect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would get over there, and I'd ask them if I could help them make it, and they'd laugh at me, and then I could make it. And then they had And then they'd res- stop laughing. They'd stop laughing, and, you know, I became part of that. Uh, and it just happened, actually, on, on a recent trip when I was in Basilicata, I went to mm-hmm. visit a small farmer. I wanted to see my great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. My great-grandfather's been dead since 1939, but I wanted to see him. And how was I going to see him when he was in Italy? I had to visit a farmer that hasn't changed in over 100 years, mm-hmm. where he still made the cheese and an old wooden... Uh, um, and it was really wooden barrel that he was mm-hmm. making the cheese in. And he was building the fire with wood, milked his cows by hand. Flies were all over the place. <laughs> I mean, the cows were right outside where he was making the cheese. And then I asked him if I could help him make mm-hmm. the cheese. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, and I started to work and make mm-hmm. some cheese with him. 
then he looks and he said, tonight come to my house and we'll have dinner together. Uh, you know, so uh, you, when you get... You met that, your grandfather. I met my grandfather, although he was a lot younger than me this time. <laughs> well, it's the thought. <laughs> it was just the how he mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. 100, over 100 right, years ago right. in his small town in right. the region of Basilicata. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're from? On my father's side, the business side was Basilicata, and mm-hmm. my mother's side... From Sicily, mm-hmm. from uh, Mount Etna, in fact. Okay. And so I'm, we're mountain people. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Sicily or Basilicata, we're, both, we're from the mountains. Okay. So how many trips have you taken to Italy? Is it count, uh, can you count? Uh, count countless, countless numbers, okay. right. And, uh, you know, all my children have studied in Italy. Mm-hmm. They've lived there. Mm-hmm. They reclaimed their Italian heritage. Mm-hmm. In fact, they speak better Italian than me because going to school and working there and living there. They learned it younger, too. They learned it younger and, mm-hmm. and, and better. I learned mm-hmm. it from old-timers, whether it was Sicilian dialect or mm-hmm. Neapolitan dialect, mm-hmm. little different influences. And right. My grammar is not as good as theirs. Mm-hmm. And they always correct me, by the way. <laughs> um, so, Because I'm wondering... When did you realize you'd be writing a book? Do you did you always take notes when you visited? How did you remember I, I all have, this stuff in I the have, book? I have never taken any notes. Never. And it's socked up in here okay. in my head, and okay. it, it just comes all the out. names and places and companies comes, and if, recipes. You know, when you when you take an interest mm-hmm. in something, mm-hmm. it gets burned into your memory, mm-hmm. and. You constantly think about and you constantly, you know, I do, I'm privileged to do a lot of seminars all over the place, all mm-hmm. over the United States and Canada, mm-hmm. speaking on behalf of the foods of Italy. Mm-hmm. I've never used any PowerPoint. I've never came in with an agenda. Mm-hmm. I just get up there and I, and I speak. And if you know your, your material, if you love what you do, it's going to come out naturally. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is how this book was written. Mm-hmm. It came out naturally. Hmm. Okay. Uh, now, how long did it take you to write the book? Two years. Two actually, years. From, from, the, from putting together the proposal to getting it finally mm-hmm. coming out. And did you uh, have a schedule? Did you sit down? Oh, yes. Well, you know, with working, Rachel, yes. a certain yeah. well, amount of hours a week. Jo- she was joined to me by the. <laughs> I mean, she was very, very cooperative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took her to Italy with me several times. And. Mm-hmm. and um, she she experienced what very few people experienced from uh, all the different regions that mm-hmm. uh, we visited, mm-hmm. and uh, so some that you put in the book, she came with you to see. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't say everything, but mm-hmm. but most of what's in the book, I wanted her to really understand when I speak about it, mm-hmm. how she could under- understand the passion of mm-hmm. these people mm-hmm. and the relationship that I have with these people. And, mm-hmm. and there's so many more. I, I'll be honest with you. In my mind... There's another I, book. I, well, I don't know if there's another <laughs> book, but in my mind, the book was not complete because mm-hmm. I was limited. Right. You know, right. the book had to be a certain size, mm-hmm. and and the publisher said, pick the essentials. Right. And right. believe me, there's so many more essentials that I would like to talk about. Mm-hmm. Let me just tell our listeners what the chapters are. Uh, besides some history of Little Italy and Italy, the the foods that you do focus on are mozzarella, pecorino, ricotta, sea salt, grana padano, and parmesan reggiano, coffee, olive oil, balsamic vinegar, pasta, piave, and other mountain cheeses, and speck. What what were your what was the hardest to leave out? 
Well, I wanted to talk about rice. Rice okay. is very rice. important. Rice okay. is very important to the to mm-hmm. the history of Italy and and going back and uh, just before the uh, the air period when they had uh, illnesses in Italy. Rice was helping to mm-hmm. bring Europe out of that. Uh, Black Plague era, ah, okay. because they regenerated itself very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And there's many different varieties of rice produced throughout northern Italy, mm-hmm. Piemonte, Lombardia, mm-hmm. and Veneto especially. Okay, and that was one. Mm-hmm. The some of the specialty breads that Italy has. Okay. You know, you go through Italy, you'll find different types of bread in different places. For instance, in Sardinia, they have mm-hmm. something I like to call carta de musica, mm-hmm. music paper. And it's also known as panna carosao. It's a very thin wafer cracker type bread, and and it's it's very significant for the Sardinians. If you mm-hmm. go over to Puglia, they have this, and Basilicata, they have this hard, crusty bread with this airy uh, center. We mm-hmm. call panne pugliese. Mm-hmm. Altamora being a most famous town for bread. In southern Italy, mm-hmm. in uh, Puglia. Now, did the bread get um, get crossed out because it's harder to import bread, so we well, can't for, really taste for, it in this country? For sure, for sure, that's the, one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I couldn't I, I couldn't justify putting it in. Right, you see, and and there is uh, traditions of, of different types of uh, sweets. Italy, you know, is, is not a sugar producing country, so mm-hmm. they they do a lot with. Um, what I call confitura, which is uh, fruits, where they um, cook them down and you get that very sweet, delicious uh, preserved fruits, or they might get the syrup from the fruits and make a, uh, a uh, what they call a uh, mostocotto as far as for for uh, grape, mm-hmm. or they might have a fig mm-hmm. where, where they'll bring it down and they'll use that as a, as a natural sweetener. Mm-hmm. Honeys throughout Italy... They have different types of blossoms. Oh, you honey know. might have been one of your topics. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I, when, yeah. I, when I'm just trying to say these, <laughs> yeah. these is, and and to know these these wonderful people that that collect the honey. I mean, mm-hmm. we have it all through the United States as well, and I don't want to take anything away from that. Right. But I just, you know, I'm passionate about the the people up in Trentino and mm-hmm. the people in in um, Basilicata where their life has been surrounded, and in Piemonte with bees mm-hmm. and, and, and how they collect the honey from the different blossoms. And sometimes they travel throughout Italy for the different blossoms. They might go, people from Basilicata will go to Umbria for the sunflower. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just great to, mm-hmm. put, to let people know all about these wonderful, wonderful things. But, okay. you know. We have to take a break now. We'll be back very soon. This is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd with Lou DiPaolo. Be right back. You are listening to The Hustle by Alan Wilkes.
dairy farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Hi, it's Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd with Lou DiPaolo, who wrote The Essential Guide to Foods of Italy. Um, DiPaolo's Essential Guide, excuse me. So the book has so many interesting topics, large and small, cheese and other foods. Um, it brings up so many topics that we have time to cover just a few of them. I was wondering if you could tell me just as an example of the kinds of things you talk about in the book, can you tell me about the family debate on salt in ricotta? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, ricotta is nothing but fresh milk, mm-hmm. the way we make it. Mm-hmm. In tradition, ricotta was made from the whey, mm-hmm. the liquid part of milk, because milk is comprised of three parts, fat, protein, and water. The watery part known as whey, if you recook that, ricotta, recooked, mm-hmm. what would, the little bits of fat and protein that was never collected... That would, remain. Right, would come up to the top mm-hmm. and you would scoop it out. That would be ricotta. Mm-hmm. It has absolutely no taste and it's very gritty. Mm-hmm. Making ricotta uh, in Italy today... They will make it from the whey, mm-hmm. but they would also add either cream or fresh milk added to it to give it some substance and some uh, flavor. Mm-hmm. In most cases, no no salt would be added. In Italy. In, in Italy. Mm-hmm. If you needed to preserve it a little bit longer, they would add salt to it. But Sam, my son, he... Uh, while he was living in Italy and worked in uh, on a pecorino farm mm-hmm. making cheese, would make ricotta and would make it without salt. And he knows that we always added a little bit of salt mm-hmm. for for preservative purposes, to, for stability, also to give it a little bit more flavor. Mm-hmm. And he said that you're ruining the purity <laughs> of the freshness of the milk. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, is that because it was sheep milk? Well, is we it make it out, we, to ours do it is cow, milk. Ours is cow's milk. Right. Throughout Italy, they make it both out of all kinds of milk, mm-hmm. even buffalo, goat, mm-hmm. sheep, mm-hmm. and of course cow. Mm-hmm. But the traditional ricotta, going back to the Roman times, going mm-hmm. back to even before the Romans and the Greeks, was always sheep. Oh, okay. And um, and that's when we talk about really good, fresh, delicious creamy ricotta we talk about ricotta di pecora mm. sheep's milk okay. ricotta and, and throughout southern italy from say um, Ro- romagna down emilia romagna but the mm-hmm. romagna section on down mm-hmm. they make a lot of ricotta from sheep's milk mm-hmm. and the the flavor is so rich because the high you know the highest fat mm-hmm. content is the sheep's milk mm-hmm. over over cow and over um, the other animals 
So it would just be so rich and so luscious. You really don't need anything else. You don't need any salt with it. You mm-hmm. just want to eat it straight after it's Now, made. can you get it here without salt? I don't think so. I mean, uh, you <laughs> is know, that one of the of, problems? Yes. Uh, one of the problems is transportation. Mm-hmm. You can fly it in, mm-hmm. and uh, within hours it starts to, you know, mm-hmm. really deteriorate. Because so it will it's last high- longer with a little salt. Last longer, mm-hmm. right? And you know, uh, the best, the best ricotta that mm-hmm. I've ever tasted in mm-hmm. my life was made by a, a, a Roman uh, shepherd cheesemaker. His mm-hmm. name is uh, Cesare Lopez, mm-hmm. and he doesn't use salt. Mm-hmm. And you taste it, but believe me, mm-hmm. you know, we tried getting that ricotta here, and mm-hmm. within a few days, it just did not hold up mm-hmm. between temperature change and transportation and. It just so it's one of those things you have to go there to and, eat. And it's something good to look forward to. <laughs> right, <you know>? right. <laughs> um, let's see. So tell me about um, the selection of wheels. Uh, do you select or do you have the people in Italy select for you? I've been to Crevero's place in Bra, right. um, and he selects all the best. What Giorgio Crevero is what I call a true uh, stagionatura. Mm-hmm. A cheese ager, but he's also a selector, mm-hmm. and he is one of the people that I would be confident in selecting cheese for me mm-hmm. because of his. Uh, he's about the sixth generation going back uh, in this business, but I like to do it myself too, mm-hmm. and I'm there at least once or twice a year, mm-hmm. and I'm a little bit fanatical. I like to meet not only. Uh, the cheese makers, but I like to see where the milk comes from. Mm-hmm. I like to see the the, the farmers and uh, and their cows and mm-hmm. and there's different types of cows throughout Italy, of course, you know, and and each one of them will produce a certain different type of characteristic in the milk, mm-hmm. and I like to have a little diversity on that as well. Uh-huh. But uh, Stagionatore is a person who doesn't make cheese, but he's just a person who. After the cheese is made and finally released, is turned over for the final aging to make sure mm-hmm. that the cheese re- comes to its best maturity. And and Giorgio Crevero and his father Giacomo are very very well talented into doing such a thing. Mm-hmm. As well. Now you talk a lot about uh, the influences that make cheese great, or even all the other foods that you talk about in the book. Um, you talk about family family businesses contributing to making food great. You talk about the environment or terroir. If, Terrano in right, Italian. Right, Okay. <laughs> and um, also recipes. Uh, you know, the breezes. You talk about the breezes on the meats. The microflora, the microflora in the area mm-hmm. where, where these products are made, whether it's cheese or meat, mm-hmm. makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And even in salt. Mm-hmm. I was very fanatical on, on where to get my sale marino, my sea salt. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because throughout, the, we have what they call the Via del Sale in Trapani, Sicily, mm-hmm. where you'll go and there's so many salinas. I needed to find the salina that I thought would give me the purest, cleanest salt. Mm-hmm. One that was all the way set back mm-hmm. where all the flamingos are on top. I said, this has <laughs> got to be the place for the best salt. And sure enough, it really is. Now, in reading your book, that's where that's where you got me because salt is the first non-cheese chapter of the book, I believe. But salt is so important. And, and I have to admit, innocent that I am, 
you know, all these salts in the stores, it's like, what am I supposed to buy? Does this matter? What's going on here? Is salt the new whatever? And your chapter was very convincing. And I was sad that I hadn't gone to Trapani to check out some salt because I was in Palermo, which is right down the road. Sure, 45 so, minutes away. So next time I'm going. And on the way there, <laughs> okay, yeah. the Trapani. And that, by the way, the Trapanese say Trapani. Trapani. Trapani, not Trapani. Trapani. Okay. <laughs> on your way there, there's a small town, mm-hmm. right? The town is called Datilo. Mm-hmm. And in Datilo, there's only one store. It's a Eurosport Cafe. Okay? Uh-huh, that's there's the name nothing, of it. You're right. There's nothing in there. There's hard, I think there's one little table where only two people could sit. Okay. You go there for one thing. Salt. A canolo. Oh, okay. Okay, you know what a canolo is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. One canolo, two cannoli. Mm-hmm. I do say I'm, cannoli. I'm, I'm, you know, a novice. It is so, so good uh-huh. i mean and it's made with cheap milk regatta uh-huh but throughout sicily you're going to find plenty of places some people will argue with me and they'll say piano di albanese outside of palermo is the best for 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 the cannoli my sister and i had two a day yes one you after one after lunch and, and one after dinner and, and we'd share them you share them okay <laughs> but we were there in september and in your book it says they're only made from October to June. The, the really good ones are made when the when the sheep's milk is at its best. Okay. And throughout the summer, mm-hmm. throughout the summer, uh, sheep they really don't produce mm-hmm. milk, and if they do, it's very it's not the best of quality. And many of those really fine pastry places that make won't make it. Okay. They well, won't make the canola. We were there the end of September. So Maybe we just got, just got under it. the you wire. You just got under the wire. <laughs> Because they all would, as soon as they would come over and say dessert, and they'd tell us that was what was on the menu, we had to have it. Especially because it was probably just coming out for the season. Right, right. Also, it might have been extra good. I'm sure, I'm sure that it was fantastic. (laughs) We certainly enjoyed it. Anyway, so let's see. What's another topic we can... uh, Oh, I wanted to ask you about aging versus affinage, just because that's a big topic here in America. Um, you call your aging guys stagionatura. And do they, aren't they doing affinage? Isn't it just not? For me, for me uh, you know, first of all, uh, affinage is, is, a, is a French term. Yes. And it was really, the French were really the ones that started to do this. Mm-hmm. And what I consider affinage uh-huh. is altering the cheese. Okay. Altering it. Not, so adding something. Right. Well, they might, they might uh, in, in Italy, they uh, might soak it in wine, cover mm-hmm. it in hay or in herbs, or uh, they might put, uh, um, infuse it with beer, rub it with beer, and, and then allow it to age in a different environment than it would traditionally would be, have been aged in right, if it stayed right. with its cheesemaker. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I was never a fan of that. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, I always was a purist. Mm-hmm. I always liked the cheese to come in the way the cheese was meant to be, the way from the area, the, the environment, until I met somebody. Okay. His name was Antonio Carpenedo. Mm-hmm. And Antonio Carpenedo is an older feller. He was a cheesemaker many years ago, but he long since left that. Mm-hmm. And the man, just listening to him and, and watching him work, 
he was taking something so special and making it even more special because he really analyzed the cheese from the beginning and said, I can make this cheese change and flavor it so much better. And then I went up to Alto Adige, Sutirol, up in the, in the northeastern part of Italy, where they primarily speak, they speak four languages there, but it's a German dialect primarily. Mm-hmm. And I met another fellow by the name of Hansi Baumgarten. And this guy was a Michelin star chef. Mm-hmm. He gave it up because he was a lover of cheese, and he's got this old, this uh, World War II bunker mm-hmm. that he converted into a cave. A cave. Ah. And Is it, it below ground? No, it's above ground. Mm-hmm. It's set in the forest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt, when, being in that bunker, I felt awfully bad for those Italian soldiers when they were watching that Austrian-Italian border, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's surrounded by these wonderful, beautiful, aromatic trees and shrubs. But every section was different. Temperature, humidity mm-hmm. was different. And he was putting different... Every che- section of his bunker. Of the bunker okay. was different. And he was putting the cheese that he felt would age better over here and in another another room. Would, this one was what he would want. And he would take cheese from all over Italy mm-hmm. and he would enhance it. Mm-hmm. And to me, I became... You became a, a convert. A convert. <laughs> and, uh, but it has to be done right. Mm-hmm. So Affinage is someone that's really devoted his life, not making cheese, but taking it and transforming it into another type of uh, taste. Mm-hmm. Whereas a stagionatore, all he does is he takes the cheese and he ages it Properly. to bring it to the peak mm-hmm. of, of flavor. and. and uh, is there quality. a word in Italian that... Means affinage. Well, we say affinatura. Oh, okay. Is a person who does this. Okay. Affinage. And what tastes does the first guy add he, to the cheeses? Oh, is that does, the hay guy? He does so many wonderful things. Uh-huh. You know, he told me a story one day that he was uh, dri- he was driving in the mountains collecting cheese from small little farmers that were mm-hmm. making it, and he got stuck behind the tractor, and the aroma from the tractor who had had loose hay ah. on it but it wasn't hay it was cut grass mm-hmm. but the grass was mixed with flowers and 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 herbs and everything natural mm-hmm. and the wind was blowing in his face mm-hmm. and he couldn't go fast because the tractor was going right, slow right. so he finally got it stopped his car he ran towards the the track the guy uh, farmer driving the tractor he asked him to stop <laughs> he wanted to he, buy some hay and he said can i take some hay <laughs> right so he, he took it and then he brought it back with him, took one of the rounds of cheese that he got from the mountains, and he stuffed it there, and for four months Uh he left it there. And when he opened it up, he smelt it, and he said, this was the summer breeze. Mm -hmm. So he calls it vento d'estate, the winds of summer or summer breezes. And I think I've seen that in Bra, with with the hay coming off of it. Right. A lot of people do that. Yeah. But this particular one has really the aromas of of uh, mountain flowers and herbs. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, mm-hmm. really amazing. Mm. Had one more question about um, what's it like for a person like you in the business and who's been in the business for years and years to go to Bra, to the Slow Cheese event, and see all that? Is it overwhelming? Is it business as usual? Is it... Well, for one thing, I, when I did attend Cheese and Bra, mm-hmm. uh I didn't go there with the attitude of business. Okay. I went there with the attitude of 
learning mm-hmm. and to really meeting people, craftsmen, people that have devoted their life to one particular type of uh, cheese, cheese and from the areas that they came from. I was so interested, uh, of course, in the product, but more interested in the people themselves mm-hmm. and, and how and and how they spent their lifetime doing this mm-hmm. and their families and where they were from, whether mm-hmm. they were from Sardinia or they were from Alto Arage or from Trentino. Mm-hmm. These these are the people that, that's what I went there for, really. To see so that, that was probably pretty satisfying because oh, they're very there satisfying. behind their... Very, I recommend it for everyone to go at least once mm-hmm. to that particular type of uh, food exposition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's another outdoor one. It's amazing uh, that it's outdoors, outdoors. too. I hope it and doesn't the whole matter. town and I love is that, taken over. And I love that area. I mean, one of my favorite areas is up in Montfort mm-hmm. de Alba. In fact, I talk about it in my mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. And my friend Julio has this wonderful house there. But it's also a world of wonderful wines. Yes. And if you're a wine yes. lover, this is a place that you would certainly would want to visit. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming in today. It's been delightful to talk about your book. Um, I wish you all the luck. It's going to be a great seller because, again, it includes history and food and cheese and everything that many people are interested in. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure being here. Thank you. This is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd, uh, HeritageRadioNetwork.org, interviewing Lou DiPaolo and his book. Oh, gosh. His book, The Essential Guide, DePaulo's Essential Guide to Foods from Italy. Well, that's close that's enough. Close enough. <laughs> close enough. But also, the subtitle is 100 Years of Wisdom and Stories from Behind the Counter. Oh, yes. Yes. Thank you. You know, I noticed, though, your subtitle isn't as necessary as some because you, the whole title of the book covers it, too. That's right. Okay. Thanks very much. Bye. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.